May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Thursday's Wall Street Journal had an article in it that was entitled, um, Is Apple's iPhone Boring? Well, it must be because I didn't even read the whole article, but I did kind of skim through it a little bit and, and saw what the critics were saying about this new iPhone. Apparently it doesn't have very many bells and whistles from the last one and doesn't really vary much from its predecessor in terms of size or, you know, what it looks like or anything like that. It's just kind of, in fact, there was a diagram in the paper of the actual size of the new one. So I reached into my pocket and pulled out the old one and laid it down. And sure enough, it looked just like the old one in terms of maybe a little bit bigger. You want you want me to buy a new phone? I mean, you want me to, to, to lay out money? That's the whole gist of the article. You know, will people buy this new phone if it doesn't have, there's no some reason, there's no compelling argument why they should buy a new one. You want me to buy a new phone? You better wow me. <laughs> we have a word for that even, don't we? We have a little phrase, a wow factor. There better be some wow factor if I'm going to buy this new phone. If you want me to buy a new phone, I want a, I want a feature on a telephone that reads my text messages to me. You know, that I don't actually have to look down. I just want it to read it to me, you know. Uh, somebody sent you a text message and here's what it says, you know. And it better be able to interpret the sarcasm, you know, that you know, like... Another stellar performance by the Browns. You know, probably should come with a little giggle and a snicker in there somewhere, right? You know, so I should know that they're not being serious. Uh, I want a car that doesn't just have a, um, it doesn't just have a cup holder big enough for a Slurpee. I want one that has an espresso maker in the glove box. Don't you, you know, that you could, you'd buy that car, wouldn't you? Could you imagine phoning me? You know, I'm like driving down, you know, uh, 271 or something like that, and, and you're, t- and, and here, you know, I'm making a latte while I'm driving. It'd be wonderful. A television. I want a television that when it when a when a, a program goes to commercial, it automatically flips over to Sports Center. Don't you you know? And somehow it magically knows when the previous commercial is over, so that it flips back all by itself. I mean, men. It would be much easier to watch that Lifetime movie with your wife, wouldn't it, if you knew that every time it went to commercial, you could at least flip back and watch a little sports center. Um, I, could, I could live with that. Come on, Apple. You, you've wowed us before, right? Wow us again. Whatever you do, don't make us yawn with your new phone. And that's sort of the world we live in, isn't it? Novelty. Give me something new. Wow me. That's the essence of the wow factor. Entertain me, amuse me, make me, uh, make me kind of sit up and be excited about this. And I think there's even something more, something deeper than that. Because, you see, what we're trying to do is we're trying to convince inventors and, and merchandisers to do more for us than meet a need. I mean, of course, of course they better meet a need. I mean, you better help me get to a place faster. You better help me to hear somebody I need to talk to. But, but I need more than that. I want extravagance. I mean, give me something more, something over the top. See, in, in our culture, we don't want life to be easier. We want it to be effortless. I mean... You're carrying a, most of you, right this very minute, you're carrying a phone in, in your person. Does that ever like strike you as being amazing? Do you remember pay phones? Does anybody remember, you know, the little box on the, 
can you even find a payphone anymore, you know? I, I hear, you remember the, the iconic ones in London? It, they're just artwork now, you know? Nobody even knows what to get rid of them because we walk around. There was a time, not long ago, when the fastest way to communicate with someone who was out of earshot was carrier pigeon or beauty salon. One of those two ways. Did you get that one? I thought you get that. There we go. The fastest way to communicate. But now we can pick up a telephone and we can call them and it's in our pocket. Of course we can put someone on the moon. Of course we can get you to Rio de Janeiro by lunchtime. But give me something more than that. I want to be able to to select my own movie, and I want to fast forward and rewind buttons, and I I want I I want I want caviar and champagne. I want more than just to get somewhere. That's what the wow factor is all about, isn't it? It's about going beyond meeting a need. I want you to tell me that I'm the center of the universe. I want you to, to convince me that I'm the center of the world. See, when you do that, I think then maybe I'll really be happy. The gospel lesson is St. Peter's confession of Christ as the Messiah. You're probably familiar with this one. Um, Jesus is walking along the road and he says to his friends who are with him, "Uh, who do people say that I am? Oh, the word on the street, Jesus. You want to know what the word on the street? We've been out and about. We know what people are saying. And here's what they're saying. They're saying that you are really an impressive preacher. You're fiery. You're, you're, you're passionate. They like that. They're saying that you remind them of one of the preachers of old, like Elijah or Isaiah. You're, you're kind of even a lot like that John the Baptist fellow. You know, you've, you've got that old-time religion, Jesus. And, and, and people are kind of, they're kind of excited about that. It's a compliment, really, to say of Jesus that he's like Elijah. Saying that you're really a breath of fresh air here in, in Israel in the first century. You're, you're something different than everything else that we're hearing. But one of his closest friends, Peter, he knows there's more to Jesus than just the fact that he is like one of the preachers of old. Peter knows that Jesus is more than that. In fact, he knows that he is the one that all of Israel has been waiting on. He's the Messiah, the Anointed One. He's the one that everybody knew was coming. He's the one who is coming to crush Israel's opposition. Set them free from the oppression of the Romans. Lift them back up on top. Make them the, the, the little mighty superpower of the world. This tiny little nation with, with a great strength to, to prove that God is, is great. This is, what, this is what the Messiah is coming to do. Peter knows that this is what Jesus is supposed to be doing. But this is where things get a little dicey. Now, take your bulletin, will you, with me, and, and look at the gospel lesson in Mark chapter 8. Just a couple of verses in, verse 29, Jesus asked his friends, he asked them, but who do you say that I am, right? Peter answered, you're the Messiah. And he, that is Jesus, sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Look at verse 31. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that is Jesus, he's speaking of himself, must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes and be killed. Now, I I want you to put yourself in the place of a first century Jew. You're You're waiting for God to send a deliverer. 
You know that Israel's been punished. They've been punished by exile and subjugation of foreign nations, that this has been part of their punishment for their rebellion. But, but there's this promise that one day, one day a Messiah is going to come and he's going to set them all free from that. He's going to let... Think of, think of Peter, who grew up in a house learning about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. About the God who delivered Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from their enemies and from, from all their foes. About the God who parted the Red Sea. About the God of, of David who helped slay a giant with just a small stone. The God of Samson who gave great strength to Samson. And they're waiting for a Messiah. They're, everybody is expecting that when that Messiah comes, he's going to be the one who is going to be the great deliverer. And Jesus says, well, it's not really going to work that way. You know, it's not going to work like that at all. In fact, I'm going to give, instead of crushing them, I'm going to allow them to crush me. And Peter says, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, Mark says, and Peter took Jesus aside. Have you ever been taken aside? Um, I have been taken aside a time or two, you know. It usually happened when I was a child in church, and my brother and I were doing something that we shouldn't. And taking aside wasn't always a good thing, right? You know, that's where, that's where somebody takes you by the arm, you know, kind of grabs hold of you. You, come here. You know, me, it was being drugged by my arm. Ah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. You've done that, right? Taken aside. Peter takes Jesus aside, verse 32, look at that, and begins to rebuke him. This is finger-wagging stuff, isn't it? I don't know what you're thinking, Jesus. I don't, I don't know where you're coming up with all this stuff. But that's not the way the Messiah is supposed to work. And Jesus looks at Peter. And you know what he says, don't you? Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Verse 33, turning to looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Now don't miss this. There's a little, there's a little double meaning on this get behind me stuff. Get behind me is, in part, shut up. <laughs> you, know, you don't know what you're talking about. You, you, you don't understand. You know, back here. But there's more than that. It's also an order for discipleship. Peter, you're out in front. You should be back behind. You think you know where you're going, but you don't. Jesus is saying to Peter, I don't want you to be a leader. I want you to be a follower. I don't want you out in front. I want you behind me. When I was a boy, um, I remember we lived um, you know, a long enough distance from school that I had to walk. It was five miles uphill both ways. <laughs> Some of you lived there too, didn't you? In the same neighborhood. Yeah, I, I've heard the stories. It wasn't that far. But, but we did have to walk a little ways, my brother and I. And, um, and I remember, in the, particularly in the winters of 1976, 77, and 78, I walked to school every, every year. Um, and I remember those years in particular because they were horrible blizzards those years. You remember that? Yeah. I remember walking to school, and my brother Jeff and I would walk, and he was my older brother. And so I would do what a younger brother would do, and that is to get behind him, you know. And, and he's walking through the snow, and what did I do? I stepped right in his footprints, didn't I? 
so that he cut through the snow. I walked exactly in the steps that he would walk, at least as long as I could. I followed. This is what Jesus is saying to Peter. I don't want you out front. I want you behind me. I want you doing what I do. I want you following me. And, and, here's, and here's where it gets a little bit, a little closer to home. Look at verse 34. He called the crowd with the disciples and he said to them, You see, I think we're in the crowd, don't you? He calls the crowd and says to the disciples, If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You see, I know that it doesn't seem right. You know, what seems right in our world is that might makes right, okay? That, that power and prestige and popularity, they all demonstrate the marks of God's blessing. Well, sometimes they do, but oftentimes they do not. Jesus' call to us this morning is this. Listen, you want to be a Christian, you want to be a follower of mine, you want to walk in my footsteps, here's what it means. Self-denial. A commitment to suffering, a willingness to suffer, and a commitment to follow the will of God in your life, even if it's not what you would plan for yourself. It's a willingness to go a different path. If he has a different path for you, you follow. It's about following. You see, this passage isn't so much about the messianic office of Jesus as much as it is about the description of those who follow. What's it like to be a Christian? What does it mean? It means self-denial, a commitment to suffering, a willingness to follow wherever Christ leads. We have this little device, a telephone. People put them in their trouser pockets and in their purses. And we're not even amazed that in, in your palm of your hand, you hold a computer that is more powerful than what campuses of computers used to be like just a few decades ago. I mean, it would take buildings, buildings and buildings to hold the, 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 the equipment that can be performed in the palm of your hand right now. We can get into a little aluminum can, strap ourselves in, and be hurled at 600 miles an hour, seven miles off of the ground. We can jump from one continent to another and land before it takes the time for someone to knit a sweater. I mean, it doesn't take long at all. We can... A lot of great things. But in our quest for novelty, we should never forget the simple message of the gospel which is that Christ calls us to follow Him, that we're following Him. A self-denial, a commitment to suffering, a willingness to go wherever God leads us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Christ bids someone to follow, He calls them to come and die. No, He didn't say He calls them to fame and fortune. Bonhoeffer didn't say that Christ calls someone to comfort and ease. He doesn't even say, oh, I know, Christ calls us to happiness. That's not what, what the gospel's about. He bids us to come and follow him, that we might find life. Christ bids us to come and die in order that we might find life. Whoever wants to save his life, whoever wants to hold on to it, what will happen? They'll lose it. But whoever willingly gives up their life, Jesus says, for my sake and the gospel's sake, they'll find it. 
they'll find that thing that they really wanted. They'll find that thing that they were searching for all their lives. The thing that they knew that they were missing. That absence will be fulfilled. And you know, if that doesn't wow you, I don't know what will. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.